On today's episode, Dave interviews Frank Cayetti. Frank is a Second City alum who is a cast member and writer on Mad TV. Frank also has been on Key and Peel, The Jay Leno Show, The Craft Store, and Reno 911. Frank performs in Frank and Matt, an improv sketch show with Second City alum and former ADD guest Matt Craig. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Someone should just do a CD, or if they have those, a box set of uh, Room Tone from Across the Earth. Oh. So if you want to know Room Tone, you go, I'll put some Spanish Room Tone. And just put it on. See if that feels different. Yeah. See if it feels different from, say, Cuernavaca Room Tone. Yeah. Like 10 seconds of Room Tone. And then there's different parts of the country Room Tone where you got Room Tone in, uh, you got Chicago Room Tone. Yeah. Or you got LA Room Tone. Yeah. And then you can have a little game. Who can tell from where this room tone came? Yeah. From like, where? Where is this room? Yeah. Where did this room tone come from? Right, exactly. And you show go. on the radio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the radio show. Uh, yeah. Do people listen to the radio? Do you listen like, to the radio? Definitely the Midwest. Right. Um, I have a maybe feeling. Maybe Wisconsin, but I'm feeling, uh, feeling maybe Minnesota. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm uh, going to say St. Paul. Ooh. Uh, Eau Claire. And then, <laughs> Eau Claire, that's funny you should say Eau Claire. I'm doing an improv fest in Eau Claire. I think I'm doing an improv fest in Eau Claire. They wow. haven't they haven't pulled they the haven't trigger confirmed. yet. What are they what do you so how far along are you? Um, what makes in you the think negotiations? Um this is what happened. <laughs> I told them my rate and then I didn't hear it from them. So I'm thinking That's okay. I know, I know, I know. I do a dub of these where you go, that's okay. But at first you're going, hmm? I'm gonna tell you what my rate is. They need to know that. I know. But sometimes you go, mm. It's information they need to have. Yeah. I've been around long enough. This is what somebody told me the other day. Bob Kojis. Just throwing his name out there. He is, he does, he does, how can you say? He was just here doing a, he, he speaks in front of large groups of people and he gets coin. Um, righteous coin. Which, is, which for some people is very lucrative. Fuck, right? Yeah. So he's doing righteous coin shows. People want to hear people talk. And he... He came in because he did this thing called the mind map. So he, for me, which is not for me, I didn't even ask him to do it because I didn't know him at the time. He took one of my lectures and he did this graphic of it. And it's beautiful. Oh, and when I first cool. saw it, I, like, I was crying. Like, Jesus Christ, I don't even know this guy. So he comes to town. I've gotten to be friends with him. And he sits me down at Nate Niles. Good place. We saw Stan Lee there. Stan Lee of Marvel fame. Yeah. Not Stan Lee of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. Um, that would have been weird. I bet you you wouldn't want to eat. No, not at, not in his state. He doesn't need to. Yeah. He doesn't need, you reach a point in your existence where you're not going to eat anymore. Mm-hmm. I think you slow down as you get older. You go, you know what? I'm or, getting ready to not ever eat again. Yeah. Because when you're older, you're not going to eat. Are there, yeah, there's no reason to. No. No. So Stanley is old. Stanley is old. 80s? At least. Okay. At least. Did you do that? Did you do that business? The comic book business? When I was a child, yes. I got an allowance that was specifically for comics. Fuck, you had the greatest parents in the history of all. Yeah. I think it was like $3 a week. Uh, in what year? Night. I was young. 1983 uh-huh. to 86. So that, they were $0.50? Cents, $0.75? Uh, at dollar? the time, I think they were $0.60. Cents. $0.60. Cents cheap. Yeah, and so I would get. There were specific ones I would get, and then I'd always get a random one. But we would we would go to Comic Con. Who's we? My friends, my friends who were also enthusiasts. 
Justin Raparski. Justin Raparski. I knew Long. we were going to get a good name. Justin I knew we were Raparski. Justin, Justin had a brother named Jason. Jason Raparski. Jason Raparski is a year Raparski. older than us, but uh -huh. he used to drive us around because he was a little older than Did us. Did you ever use their name in an improv show where it's like, hey, what's your name? Jason Raparski. No. I once did, I would use the name Joe Starzynski. Starzynski's a great name. That's a fucking great name. And I'd use the name Joe Starzynski as a character on main stage. And it's a great guy, Chicago name, though, yeah, too. Yeah, well, uh, it's a guy I went to third grade with, fourth grade or fifth grade with. Joe Starzynski. Joe Starzynski. 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 And a uh, guy comes up to me at the end of a show. How'd you know I was here? Joe Starzynski shows up to my show. Did he know who you were? Yeah. Like Dave Zosky. I'm like, and he goes, Joe Starzynski, how'd you know I was here? How long had it been since you'd seen him? Uh, I don't know. I was, I was 35, so probably 18 years. Wow. But these names stick in your head. Of course. You know what I mean? Like like the sound of Cuernavac and Room Tone, where you go, that's clearly Cuernavac and Room Tone. Yeah. So, what the fuck was I saying? Oh, so uh, he wanted me to, he, he came here. I was like, I'm going to sit down with you and talk about you, me, doing... These lectures. It would Why be nice not? to just go, because I'm on the road anyway. That would be cool. It would be cool. I think, I think that we, uh, in the world of improv, constantly undervalue the, our work. And so it's, in some of the way, you know, in some ways you may say like, oh, this is such a sham. Like, how does this apply outside of this world? And then you look at the way the world operates. You're like, it absolutely could and should apply and so I think there was a time where I was very cynical and skeptical of that. But the more I talk to people, because I've never been in a corporate world at all. Right. So I know nothing about it. But what was the last more, job you had? Uh, I was a server at Dublin's Pub on State Street. Oh, uh, yeah. State and Maple. Yeah. That was the last job I had, 1999. Whew. How about that? It's a pretty that? good run. Yeah. It's a pretty good run. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, right? <laughs> I think I stopped working there when I was 25 or 26. I came out here and uh, I booked a bunch of commercials and then fucking nothing. And then my wife said, uh, I was married at the time. My wife said, you got to get a job. I'm like, the fuck I'm going to get a job. And then I did. I got what a job it? for one day. Catering. Oh, catering is rough. And a fucking bar mitzvah. And it's like, if there's one thing to make a Jew anti-Semitic, it's motherfucking catering. West Side. A bar mitzvah. It's well, ugly, Frank. Well, but it also, I, I worked as a mobile disc jockey in college, and that'll kind of make you hate brides. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It also made me hate company Christmas parties, because you know what people do at company Christmas parties? They get wasted. <laughs> and at a, at, at, there's a hierarchy at a wedding. Uh -huh. The bride and groom are in charge, or the parents of the bride are in charge. Right. At a company Christmas party, at some point, the higher-ups leave. And then all the underlings just continue to drink. Right. And then they think they own you. <laughs> and it was the worst. There were more times that I thought I was going to get beat up at a company Christmas party. I'm like, that's it. We, they, they paid up until this time. It's over. And then it was over. And then you No, left. you play friends in low places again. <laughs> oh, no. Not play friends guy. in low places. No, oh. no. One more time. One more time. And did you make money? It was good money for college. And, and it was weekend work. Right. And it was pretty fun. Like, because sometimes I would do like parties and that would be fun to dj a party right but a lot of it was did you do uh not do uh did you go to a lot of bachelor parties no no i mean not for work oh in your life a couple i've never been one i've been in mine 
I've been to a couple. I'm trying to think. There was such a there was a point in time where like almost everybody I knew got married. Right. It was like a five year span where everybody got married. I'm trying to think. Not that many. Have I'm you been to a, I've been to strip clubs? I've been to a strip club, different strip clubs, but a strip club less than ten times in my life. And I always feel I don't get me wrong, hey. I love the female form. Got it. And I appreciate it in a visual way. I'm a male that way. Got it. I feel the desperation in those places. I, can't, I feel uncomfortable, so I make jokes. I talk to them. I, and then they kind of pick me out as like a shit talker. And I'm not shit talking them, but I'm, I will say things like, why are you here? <laughs> and they don't appreciate that. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think I, I've, I've been to none. I've been to none. You've been to zero strip clubs? I've been to zero strip clubs. The only reason being, the thought of me going to a strip club would be uh, me getting there and being embarrassed for every fucking person there. Everybody, everybody, including me, my friends, the bartenders. Because I'm looking going, this isn't okay. It doesn't seem okay to me. It is not okay. Here's one situation, the most comfortable I ever felt at one. Good name, another good name. Sean Stomsky. Yeah. uh, I knew. His sister worked at the fancy one on North Avenue in Chicago, uh, Crazy Horse, I think at the time it was called. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the we would get in for free. Yeah. Yes, we would get in for free. I went twice with him, and it was a group of guys. And all the girls, Sean is a gay man, and he's hilarious mm-hmm. and uh, effusive. I know him. Is he an actor? He is. Name sounds familiar. And all the girls would come around, and we. It was kind of more of like hanging out. And that was the only time I found a strip club fun and or comfortable. Uh, right? Every other time, I just don't like it. And a lap dance? What are you fucking going to do? I mean, really, what are you going to do? But that's the thing. That's the desperation is that for some people, that's all they have. So, like, for you, it seems ridiculous. Right. It's uncomfortable. Right. For somebody else, that's, that is taking away their loneliness or potentially their oh. sexual outlet. Right. And that's sad. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it is sad it, and my family never did it I don't think my brother ever did it maybe he did I don't know go to a strip club mm-hmm. um, my dad certainly never did it my mom never did it maybe she did it more than anybody and we just never know um, you, but I don't know I, you know. but I know a lot of guys on the road Second City they'd be like let's go to a fucking strip club we're going to a strip club I'm Like, it also know. seems like I don't like wasting money right it that is the biggest like an waste awful of money. Waste of money. Yeah, all of it, all of it, all of it, all of it. Did you? Uh, I, I mentioned this once before. What I did at the end of last year was I took a big fucking chunk of money that I had from the sale of my house, and I paid off all my loans. I paid off all my How'd that loans. Feel? Frank, it was just the greatest thing in the world. And I got uh, Chip Chinnery. Uh, I don't know if you know Chip. That's his name. That's Chip a Chinnery. Fantastic actor. Name. He's a great actor. He does a lot of commercials. You've seen him, I'm sure. And he also has uh, does finances. And he sent me an email saying that was the smartest thing he did. And one of the smart things, if you have the money, because we all think this is what's going to happen. We're going to get that job. We're going to have a big chunk of money. Mm-hmm. And we'll pay that thing off at that time. Mm-hmm. Even if you do have the money in the bank. Mm-hmm. But you're a family guy. Yeah. What does that mean? Like, how does that, like, do you go, how, how did the finance change? Like, do you panic about it? Um, I know you're not a panic. It is a, it, it cause it is a source of stress. I mean, uh, you know, you eliminate the concern for money and paying for things 
from my life, then I have very little stress. I still, I don't get stressed out about it, but I'm aware of it. Mm -hmm. I think managing debt and thinking about finances is something I would prefer not to do, but have to do. How's Rachel doing it? How's Rachel? I am the, I am the CFO of our household. Uh -huh. um, partially because I want to be, but partially because she recognizes that I want to be. Right. In addition to that, I'm good at it. Do you enjoy good it? At it is in but do you enjoy it? No. Do you enjoy um, promotion, promoting yourself? No. You know. That's the thing I have most difficulty with. I felt like in Chicago, if you do good work for long enough, somebody will notice. Mm -hmm. And in Los Angeles, you need to be the loudest voice in the room going, I'm really good at this. Right. Look at how awesome I am at this. Right. And I, I, I think there's just a Midwestern sensibility or like – the all of my training was about craft and not about this other side of the business. Right. And that's that's the thing I easily resent most about the business is the business. Um, if no one's gonna promote you, who the fuck is gonna promote you? If you're not gonna promote you, who's gonna promote you? You're absolutely right. And and so that's what happened to me where I went, Oh, I'm not getting any work. Because my fucking agents go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those people don't even know me. They don't know me. They don't come see my shows. They don't know what I do. And not only that, I don't know that if they did, they would know what it was that I do. Mm -hmm. But the part of the business is being the business is the business that you don't like in the business. Yeah. I, hear, I, would, I, I think I understood what you just said. Yeah. Well, the, <laughs> the fact that you, the part of the business that you don't like, the part of show business that you don't like is the, show business, is the business part of show business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like the show. You like the show. But here's the thing. I've watched a lot of what you do and – you're really fucking good at it and you're on so many different levels that I look at that and go, what's stopping you from telling everybody how fucking good you are? Uh, are you Catholic? I appreciate that. Yes. I, but I was kind of – my folks were kind of over it. Right. I, I was – I come from religious families and but my mom and my dad were the least religious people in their family. Mm -hmm. So I think I wasn't I, – I, I've, I've never been confirmed. Uh -huh. I'm baptized, but never been confirmed. I'm just looking at it thinking that Catholic thing that says don't – that you got to be humble and don't get too big for your britches or Jesus is going to cry. I'm not worried about Jesus' wrath. I think there's just something instilled in me that is – I think it's a little bit of being stubborn too that saying like they'll come to me. Right. But I don't know if – I don't know. I'm just not good at it. Like, How do you I know you're not good at it? You know what I mean? It's a good point. I don't know. Because I, I, I was in therapy and my therapist said, I said, I want to work more. He's like, then do marketing. And I said, I'm no good at it. And then I realized I'm no good at it only because I said I'm no good at it. And then I started doing things like spending more time online and zhuzhing up pictures of myself and fucking posting it and then doing what it is that I want to do. And the only reason I'm telling you that is so many of us don't push ourselves and then we get lost. You're right. You no, you're absolutely right. I don't know what it is. I've been telling myself for probably five years, like, I'm gonna get I'm gonna make some postcards. I'm just gonna do a mailing to casting directors every couple months. Just remind them, thanks for bringing me in. Cause they're like, I used to go out for and for good stuff and get close and get jobs here and there, but then it was like, oh, it starts to go away. And I think part of it is reminding everyone that you exist. Right. And that um, you're doing this thing well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because there's a lot of douchebags out there that are getting work. God bless them. They're getting work, and I feel like, hey, I'm just as good as those guys. Oh yeah, 
I don't, I don't know. And I'm saying that only because there, I mean, I'm not going to do the postcards, but I'm going to go online. I'm going to suck the fuck out of Facebook sure. and Twitter and Instagram and Tumblr and all that bullshit and do as much as I could possibly do because I'm, I want somebody to just kind of pop my head in their brain. Yeah. I, do you have this, do you have this difficulty on Facebook? I, I have a little bit of difficulty with Facebook because it is walking such a fine line between personal and professional uh-huh. and promotional. So mm-hmm. like I do promote shows, but I also take it as a pr- personal place. I'm very reluctant to post any pictures of my family. Got it. Um, I just feel like privacy is important enough to me, but then I'm like, I want to share with people. I want people to know what I'm up to. I like, I don't mind, I don't mind sh- sharing my thoughts but I feel like my wife and my children have not chosen what I choose to Absolutely. do. Absolutely. So like I don't have – it's not. it doesn't say married to Rachel right? because I don't want everyone to know who my wife is. No. Not because I'm ashamed of my wife, but she isn't in this business. Yeah. So why do they have to have access to her? Right. And so uh, – No, I get it. I, I, but I'm, not, I'm single. Um, I have a really strong, strong uh, political opinion. Um, I live alone. I got no one to bitch to. I used to have a dog. I don't have a dog anymore. So it's like I'll go online and scream into the fucking nowheresville. Well, I appreciate – I mean I, I follow you or I'm your friend on Facebook and I appreciate that. I think it's great. That to me is a little different too because you were – that's actually very brave if you think about it to share those thoughts, which it can be inflammatory to certain people. But, and here's another thing. I don't – if those people are in, inflamed by what it is that I say, I'm sorry. I, no, I'm not sorry. Um you know, it's one of the things like, what do you think about me is none of my business. I also feel like I, I, I think that what I loved about working in Second City was this. They taught me how to express myself. Mm-hmm. They, were the, they were the midwife to my voice, if you will. And at that time, I learned half a fucking opinion. Mm. And what I also learned, and you know this too, is when you're out there and you're, and you're in front of all these people, people are going to come to you and it serves your ego in a little way. But you also get more work from that. And mm-hmm. I think that the loudest voice in the room, and not the loudest voice in the room that's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, but the loudest voice in the room that's saying, this is who I am, which is different than look at me, look at me, look at me. This sure. is who I am. I think in that way, I have no problem with it. I have no problem with it. What I also love about Facebook is I, I don't have to tell anybody about anything other than what I'm feeling in that moment or what I'm eating in that moment or drinking in that moment. Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah. It feels good. It feels right. You have an incredibly good sense of yourself. Mm-hmm. Cut to when you were 14. Oh, fuck, man. And you're on Facebook. <laughs> what do you think? Right. Like, I want to kill myself. Y- yeah, right? I don't know. I mean, didn't you me, feel that way at fourteen? I had worse. I mean, the, the high, everybody. I felt like my assimilation and and like into that uh, into middle school and into high school was relatively painless. There were definitely people that had more difficult times. I think humor got me through it. I played sports. All right. I participated in extracurricular activities. So mm-hmm. I had like a group of friends, and I but I remember one time in like ninth grade. A kid that I thought was like a super stud said, said, you know, you're like a popular guy. And I was like, I'm a popular guy? I'm a popular guy? No, I'm not. None of these girls are interested in me. I'm a pop. But, See, then, but it. I was like, and then like right. it was like that exhilaration of like, I'm a popular guy. Oh no, I'm a popular guy, like up and down. So I think everybody, even if I would say somebody from school would look at me and say, you had a really easy time. It still wasn't easy. I mean, everybody's path is everybody's path. But I, I would say it wasn't 
it wasn't torturous as it could be for some people. I believe that the idea that someone once said that to you, the meme of you're a popular guy and you bought into it shows all that it is, is an attitude. Totally. Speaking of like going back to business and show business, right? all it is is an attitude. It's just I'm an really attitude. I'm really good at this. Right. I'm really good at this. Yeah. And then if you lie about it enough, it becomes your truth. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and, it's, <laughs> and, and so what ends up happening, and you did it probably in improvisation too, where one day you went, I'm just going to do this. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. I'm good at this. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. I vacillate on that as well. If you're good at this? I think I'm, I'm good. I think I'm okay at it. I think I'm okay at it. I feel like... You've been doing it for a really long time. Yeah. I enjoy it. I love it. Right. I love it so much. I've definitely gotten better. I feel like every moment, every day, I feel like I'm the best improviser I've ever been. Right. Like I keep getting better. I look back at myself and I was like 10 years ago when I worked for Second City, he's like, oh, you guys got a schlub. <laughs> I'm way better now, you know. <laughs> uh, but like, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel I, I don't want to. I don't want to paint the picture that I don't think highly of myself. I feel good about what I do, uh -huh. and I enjoy the work that I do. But I think part of what keeps me going is the desire to continue to get better and explore and explore and explore. So, is it also like, the fun that you're having? Oh man, it's so fun! It's the only thing I could do every day. I could I lis listen to my kids laugh. I love I, – I could shag fly balls mm -hmm. every day and I could improvise every day. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it. And those are the things every single day. That's a perfect day. Matt Craig says you could also go to delis every day. I like delis. He said that you like delis. Did I'm a fan of what, delis. Yeah. He said that you're – he said ask about – Well, I have a strong feeling about delis. Um, okay. Which one in LA? What's the one that you go to right now? Go, let's get in the car. Which one? The best one in my opinion is probably Bay Cities. Where's that? Monica. Really? Never been. It's really good. Uh-huh. Um, there are other good ones. What's your feeling about Cantor's? Well, that's a different kind of deli than what I'm saying. Oh, okay. What's your deli? What are you talking Cantor's about? Cantor's is delicious. It's fucking delicious. Cantor's to me is more like a diner. Oh. Ooh, okay. I, my deli to me is my, – my grandparents owned a deli on State Street in Chicago. Which deli? Uh, I cannot remember the name of it I, because – Where was it? It was on State and Grand and it became a – they sold it in like 1963. Oh. And it became a parking lot for a Got hospital. It. Got it. Got um, it. Got it. My grandfather worked for the people that owned it. They didn't have kids and they gave it to him. What? They gave he it to him. worked for them for like 15 years from when he was young, when he was young. And then sometime in his 30s, they said, we want you to have this. Did, they, did he get the building and the. the... Yeah, so there was, it was a, several storefronts. There was like a, a, a dry cleaners and something else. But it was like a sundry shop and a sundry shop. shop. When was the last time I went to a sundry shop? Depends. Nobody calls it that anymore. No. You, go to, you go to Rite Aid or CVS and you get your sundries. Yeah. I used to work in the basement of a bungalow in Chicago where the guy supplied sundries to, grocery, to, to drugstores. Mm -hmm. And that was my job. And so I fucking knew sundries, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> the... That's why, that's why I'm, I want to clarify my distinction of deli, delicatessen. To me, it is a place where you can get a sandwich, but it also is a place that you can, will slice meat for you. Got it. Fresh, has the case, you pick the cheese, all of that stuff. That's what I associate. There are, I know, but like, then there's the Eastern 
deli that's more like Cantor's, right? Place that serves great pastrami and corned beef. Right. I love those places too. Yeah, but nobody, I probably people are, but I never see people doing that. It's like, give me a pound of pastrami, give me a pound of corned beef, and give me a pound of turkey. Nobody's doing that. Thinly sliced. You're gonna go to your pavilions, your Ralphs, your Jewels. Oh, I have a very strong opinion of sliced meats. Yes. Yeah. I will not purchase pre-sliced meats. It's like la worst case scenario. Oh, you know what, dude? I think you just talked me into stop buying pre-sliced meats because oh, you do save terrible. money. You save money, and it's way better. Yeah. It's yeah. Way better. You know what? I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that, ladies and gentlemen. I'm gonna stop doing the Oscar Mayer. But what's also happening? You're not buying the plastic little fucking plastic thing. You're not. But they're gonna put it in a plastic. They're bag. gonna put it in a plastic bag, but it's different than a hard piece of plastic. You know what I mean? Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? I mean, you you have you have children, and you we're living in a world right now, and I think everybody probably feels this way. Every generation goes, oh boy, how are kids gonna? Man, when they get older, how are they gonna live in a world where there's? Because I'm just thinking about plastic and garbage and mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, I think. Well, the, here's what I would say: is you know, they're growing up in a time where there's a greater awareness of consumption than there's ever been. Mm -hmm. I feel mm -hmm. like my generation was never very aware until I was well into my adulthood. Right. Wasn't really aware of consumption at all. I think kids grow up now with environmentalism. They grow up with recycling. So there'll be that awareness. I mean, the the way media is changing, like I don't ever need to own a CD or book again. Do you have them? Do you still have them? I still have them. They are in storage. Really? Yeah. I have a little bit of connection to some books that I want to keep. Right. Uh, and then CDs, it's just a matter of getting around to one day shipping it off to one of those places that'll digitize everything. All the stuff that I oh, want. CDs you're talking about, you're talking about, you're talking about video. Yeah. You're not talking about no, no. music. Music. No. You know, you can send them off to a place like you can send them off and then you send them with a hard drive or they'll provide a hard drive or you pay for it and then they'll send you back. They'll keep the CDs uh -huh. and then you get all your music digitally. I've already done that, but I've done the painstaking process of like putting it in a yeah. computer, doing it through. I my can't things. remember the last time I bought a CD. I can't remember the last time I bought a CD. There's no need to. No. So, but you also have, and you're probably like me. You've got videotapes that are just dying every day, dying every day in a fucking closet. Mm -hmm. And there's that show that you did that you think one day you're gonna watch it, and you're not gonna. Well, that's nostalgia. That's melancholy. That's. But I, lo I just love the idea of like I'd love to look at a show that Amy Sedaris, Danello, Colbert, Carell, and I did. And be able sure. To go, That's great. And I've got that somewhere, but, and it's dying in that closet right there. <laughs> Every day, it's, getting, it's dying in that closet. It's, ah. And it, one day, it's just going to be dust. Well, is it, important enough, is it important enough for you to keep it? Nope. You oh, well, even... no, no, no. Here's the thing. There are some that are like that brick of videotape video brick mm -hmm. you know what i mean like those big fucking things so you put them in the oh like the the three the three quarter inch oh ones. yeah yeah i got like those. those like yeah oh yeah sounds like a transformer <laughs> exactly Morgan i got those and i'm going how the fuck is that ever, like i'm ever gonna see watch that commercial for planners peanuts again I found this. We had a thing that was called a Polavision. It was made by Polaroid. It didn't last very long. But it was a whole system that Polaroid tried to make that was Super 8 film inside of a cartridge uh -huh. that you could put inside of a player. And it would play it so you didn't have to get it developed. Got it. And uh, I found these things. And I think the reels are like three minutes long. And they're in a cartridge. I took it to a place in Burbank. 
and they broke they had to break all the cartridges but then they digitized all of the stuff and I, as a christmas gift i made a dvd and i put music to it and everything and not a dry eye in that i love that it was I great i love that, and that so me, much and so i still have those but then it like became it became accessible to me it's right there in my itunes library right now. And like right. maybe yearly now, I click on it and watch it. Oh, it's really it's like good. Eighteen minutes long or something. It's My like, brother did a fortieth birthday for me and a fiftieth birthday for me, and uh, he's a great graphic designer and an editor and shit like that. And it's one of those things where you get to a point where you go, <laughs> like crying. You just fuck it. Like something hits you so strong. Oh man, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, that's but that also to me is. Because so little of it exists. What do you mean? From my past. Oh, got it. I don't... That's the difference between my child and me, is that she will have hundreds of hours of footage of herself, or at least <laughs> hours of footage of herself, right. you know? she And she enjoys already looking at videos of herself. For me to have the access to see that stuff as a kid, it was very little. Well, you got to put up a fucking... Well, how about yeah. the, the carousel, slide carousel? Yeah. We had to go, we're going to take it out, we're going to bring the screen down, mm -hmm. and you go, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um, are you, you, you have brothers, sisters, family? I have uh, two brothers and three sisters. They're Jesus. all older than me, uh -huh. but they're my folks, they're from previous marriages for my folks. Got it. So I'm the only, technically the only child of my combo of parents. Right. And I mostly grew up with my sisters. What's your relationship with women because of that? Good for the most part, I would say. Um, I got to tell you, I have so few men friends. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, Do you I, feel more comfortable with women? I just feel more comfortable with women. And this woman that I was that I just broke up with, she had a really fucking hard time with it. It's like, what kind of guy has no men friends? It's like, I just don't. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I have man friends. I have man friends. I think, but I've I felt like I've always been okay at understanding women. As best as one could. I don't want to give the impression that I'm amazing at it or anything, but I've always, always felt a relative sensitivity, and that probably comes from living with my sisters. My folks are divorced. I lived with my mom for a few years when she was single, and then I lived with my dad for several years. So, like, I got, I got a pretty good understanding of that sort of stuff. I wouldn't say that I it helped me in dating or anything, but mm -hmm. I've always felt comfortable with women. I, I never felt like. I could have girlfriends that weren't girlfriends. Do you, so you don't have any girlfriends that aren't, well, obviously you're married now, but you, you don't have any, it's not like, hey, Rachel, I'm going on with Ellen. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh -huh. At this point, all of those kind of people are dudes. Right. But I have like, you know, I have lasting, a couple of lasting relationships with women. Or maybe it was like more informative years. Like I remember in high school and in college, I had like, Girls that were friends that we might have maybe liked each other more than that, but we never dated. Right. And like we just had a really good friendship. Right. And it helped. We helped each other kind of the, the perspective of male and female. Did you, did you see any – have you seen the changes with women in improvisation as you've gotten older? Because for me, women were – when I first started, women were mothers and nurses <laughs> and that kind of shit. And now they're regular people. In improv scenes. Isn't that amazing? I think there's well, one, there's more of them. When I first got to IO in Chicago, it was seven dudes and one girl. Right. That still exists a little bit. But I feel like uh, at least my observation in Los Angeles is the gender balance seems to be pretty good. It does seem to be good. 
Um, and yet you play with you play with uh, Matt Craig. Yeah. Do you do any two any other two person shows? Mm -mm. See, I, I play with women. I play with Rachel, I, Rachel Hamilton, Carrie Clifford. Um, I play with Jill Bernard. I play with all these women. There's such nice dynamic and from a Mo male Collins and a female. Yeah. yeah, yeah, right. Um, to me, Matt and my uh, like relationship it goes beyond gender. Like I think we have a simpatico improvisationally and complimentary spirit and uh, style that goes beyond our gender mm -hmm. and it's just about two people. Right. So I wouldn't necessarily say that, but I, I agree that like there's always some wonderful freedom like in gender equality in ethnic equality. Like it's, it's so nice because I mean, man, it was at IO, it was seven big 10 educated dudes that were chubby, white, either Irish, maybe a Jewish guy here or there. Right. You know, and like relatively middle or upper middle class. It was just so boring and homogenous. Right. That so anything different to me is interesting. And that's coming from me being the man, the white man. Got it. Got it. Um, Got it. Because I really the perspective of um, the perspective of women and nationalities and different religions and different ethnicities. Um, and not to know somebody's ethnicity or to know their background, then they suddenly come out with this information that you're like, where the fuck do you know that? It makes you really appreciate it. And that's what I loved about Second City was the amount of information that people had and the willingness to share that and collaborate with that. And I love that so much. Yeah, there, I learned a lot about that stuff. The, the other thing I would say on the side of that is like there other women, other ethnicities are – uh, sexuality kind of, you know, has been marginalized or kind of becomes a thing. And all of a sudden what they are is who they are, which is kind of lame. What do you mean by that? I think I know what you mean. But I feel like some of the time there's an expectation. Like if, if you are a gay male, then you have to represent that perspective. Right. And if you are a black female, you have to represent that perspective, which is like, no, just be the best you. Because to me, it, it's kind of a slight on anyone that says to say that what you are is exactly, we know exactly who you are. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, I'm a white male, but I, I have a cult. I have culturally differences. I I lived. My folks were divorced. I lived with my grandfather and my grandmother and my dad in a very strong, like Italian American way. Like so, that changes my background. There were times where my mom was on food stamps. Mm -hmm. So like that changes my stuff. We got right. evicted many times. Mm -hmm. So like that changes my upbringing. Mm -hmm. I am this category of person with this history, and so this category of person, you can't assume this history from anybody. But you assume a little bit of difference because of, you know, differences. Got it. You know? so, which I think is awesome. But I also think it's a little bit it's, – it's, it's just a little easy to say like, oh, you fit this box. Well, the fact that you go, okay, white uh, – oh, so if somebody says um, evicted, going from place to place, food stamps, you know right away there's going to be somebody going, oh, I got the picture of that person. Yeah. You know, it's a black person. Maybe. Right? I think that I think there are Somebody would say that. Somebody would say that. And so yet, the lion's share of people that are on assistance are white. Oh, clearly. But the thing is that that world is not the, – the, the, the stereotype is so ensconced in people's heads yeah. that you go, really? Really? Mm -hmm. and, then, and, and yet I know I do it too. The idea of I'm looking at somebody and suddenly they say, oh, I live in uh, South Carolina. I'm going, all right, here we go. Mm -hmm. Here we go. It's just a matter of time before Christ <laughs> comes in. Or you're going to say something. I'm going to go, you're not allowed to say oh, that word. Boy. You cannot say that word. Yeah. You know, I'm just waiting for that to happen. And they say things like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm Jewish too. I'm going, what? No, you're from South Carolina. You're not supposed to be Jewish. Isn't that wonderful though when someone keeps you guessing? 
Yes. That like, to me, that's what I love. It's like, great, you fit a mold or maybe you're fulfilling some sort of role or type. But I also love when that expectation is not met or is changed. Because like, to me, I think that's what makes it great. I don't think artists should be beholden to just be one thing. Sure. Like Ithamar Enriquez is one of my favorite people in the world. And he is of Mexican descent. Both of his parents are Mexican. His grandparents are from Mexico. They immigrated. Emigrated? They immigrated. When you come in, I'm an immigrant. I'm coming in. When I leave this, I emigrated. Emigrated from, They emigrated from Mexico. Immigrating to, yeah. And I I think he sometimes, he shared with me that he felt a little tiny bit of pressure to have like a Hispano-centric point of view when he was writing material at Second City. Did you direct his show? I directed his current show. Yeah, his current show. Yeah, his uh, one-person show. What's it called? Ithamar Has Nothing to Say. Right. It's It's a uh, silent show. Silent silent show. It's beautiful. It's really wonderful. I love it. And uh, I'm I'm quite proud of it, and he's just such a brilliant performer. And, like, he – I think he is informed by that, but that's not all that he does. And so, like, it is more nuanced and sophisticated than just, like, he has to be a representative of the brown people. Right. Like, I don't think he is that. He is him. And so that's what I like about that because we've talked in depth about that sort of stuff. Like, he, doesn't, he shouldn't perform with an agenda. He should perform with his agenda. That is uniquely his agenda. Yeah. And, and, but I think there are a lot of people who may, like an agent or a, or a manager, would come up and say, hey, listen, just do a couple of, just do a couple of brown bits. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm never surprised by what somebody in the business may ask am, me to do. But it's one of those things where you go, "Really, I'm not going to do that." And yet, I, I just, just do something. Come on, you know, exactly. Just, just do a couple. Say of something in Spanish. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And then we go, "Okay, fine. Now you can do whatever the fuck you want to do." And I feel like, no, you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. And and so culturally, what we tend, what one might tend to do, especially when you're when you're new out here, is to say, "Okay, who am I culturally?" So that people can get a broad idea of what it is that I am, and then we can figure it out later who I am specifically, and I have a problem with that. I have a problem oh. with that. I'm saying, why not? And that's one thing that you get at Second City, where they say, who the fuck are you? What do you have to say? And say it. Did you feel like you left there achieving that in a way that was so clear that you walked out saying, I know exactly who I am? Um, I felt like I know exactly what I'm on this planet to do, and that is to unfold and further evolve who it is that I am. Now, because I, I, I think one of the things that, that tends to happen, and you get older, as you get older, this becomes less and less important, is to say, who am I? Who am I? Because when you're young, you want to go, who am I? Because you think, this is going to help me figure out what to do with my life. And as you get older, you go, that question doesn't matter. Who am I, to me, doesn't matter. Okay. What matters to me is, what am I doing? What am I enjoying in this moment? Because if, am I going to pigeonhole myself? Because I have a problem with an agent saying, look, you're a middle-aged Jewish guy who's kind of balding and you're a single guy, blah, blah, blah. So do material that's that. And I'm going, who the fuck are you to pigeonhole me? Mm-hmm. Now, who the fuck am I to pigeonhole me too? Because mm-hmm. if somebody says to me, oh, okay, what do you know about? I'm like, I know about this, 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 this. And that's who I am. I am all those things, and I am none of those things. You're a dad, but you're not just a dad. Well, it's funny you say that. Anytime I go into audition for something where I am a dad, uh-huh. I don't feel like I'm going to be a dad among the people that are in that waiting room for dads. I'm like, I'm just not dad, and I am a dad. But like, if I go commercial, it's like, dad, this. I look around the room, I'm like, 
this this is this guy over here is right. the dad. That's the I'm dad. not. I'm not that dad. <laughs> uh, have you been cast as a dad? Never. No. No. I have. I'm more. I think I'm more nerd, schlub, or neighbor friend. Got it. I think that's my wheelhouse. Uh huh. As far as in this world of classification in television. Got it. And to be able to go, okay, you know what I you can need? be I am a dad. I'm like I'm responsible for human beings. Right. You're but, a dad, you're a husband, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're an actor, you're a director, you're all those things. And yet none of those things are exactly none of those things are what it is that you are. You're part of those things. Yeah. And in some ways, in a weird way, I, I guess I I don't mind separating being a father in my personal life than being a father in my acting life. What do you mean? I just would rather, it's not important enough to me to portray something that I already am. Oh, okay, fine. You know, like I like, part of the allure to me of improvisation and comedy is to inform point of view, come from my heart somewhere, but use the filter of whoever I am portraying uh-huh. as the whatever it is being said. So but the it dad comes that, for me. The dad that you are with Rachel isn't the dad is a different dad than if I cast you as the bedraggled dad yes it's a different dad well there yeah yeah for sure because if I say to you okay get up there and be a dad like what the fuck does that mean how do you do that most of the time they're buffoons uh right. In the commercial world. Yes. It's a lot of like yes. Oh dad. Right. Or dumb dad. Here right, comes exactly. dumb dad. Oh dad. Here's wacky dad. All the people, you know, all kids and mom in reaction. You've dad. Have, have you had let's see, you've done a couple movies out here, right? No. The movies that I've all done were in Chicago. I have never done a movie here. I have never auditioned for a movie here. I've auditioned for television, I've auditioned for commercials, but I've never auditioned for a movie. Really? Never. Huh. I'm really surprised about that, too. I auditioned um, for what ended up, but they didn't tell us at the time, American Hustle. Uh Uh-huh. And I also auditioned for the Jersey Boys. Mm -hmm. And they were both, like, Italian-American roles. And, uh, and the the uh, the American Hustle was very secretive. You couldn't look at a side. They gave you scenario and you had to improvise. I'm like, okay, this is good. This is I I can do this. Right. And I walked into that waiting room, and the guys were so Italian that I was like, every name was ended in an O or an I or an A, and I was like, holy shit! They're <laughs> one of these guys is the guy. They're just the guy. Look at what you he's, did. He's like, I get a, I get three auditions a year. I get three auditions a year. <laughs> I'm going to book this. And they're like, all right, fuck. I mean, this guy's got it. Uh, <laughs> Did you get close? No. No, I went, I mean, no, neither. And then the other one was like a tough guy, some tough guy role in Jersey Boys, which I have not seen. Uh, and I was like, oh, I could be this guy. And then I look around the room and I'm like, no, I'm not this guy. Every, they all drove up in Cadillacs. They're all wearing tank tops. and I mean, I'm like, oh, they were just perfect. <laughs> like, oh. That's kind of what's – that's interesting to me too is I I don't – part of my unwillingness to fit inside of a box makes it even – it makes me even less castable in some ways. There's you're, 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 people you're, that has like a very much right. sense of self like that's the guy. That's the roles he does and then you can figure it out later like you were saying, which you don't like but is part of it. It's like you do this thing really well. Keep doing that 
until you get an opportunity to do something else. That's what I mean, where you go, you figure out what's the lowest common denominator, and then you fucking play it out from that. But that's not what you and Matt do. No. We, don't, we almost play against type. People very often, since the way I look and the way Matt looks, assumes that he straight mans me more than I straight man him. Right. That is not the case. For the most part, I think we, we probably 50-50 or me maybe even a little bit more straight man Matt. And it's like people just have an assumption like, oh, he is the more authority figure, tall gentleman. Sure, right. He's going to be the guy right. in reaction to this character. Not necessarily the case. And so I think I like, I like the idea of surprising people. And I wish I, I left Chicago with a better sense of myself as who I was in this business. Because I always wanted to just – I was always just – I hate like somebody saying to me, well, this is what you are. And I'm like, oh, could I be something else? Right, right, right. Can you, especially like a manager and an agent where they say, this is who you are as opposed to I'm going to send you out for a bunch of different things. Yeah, but they need to know that. I get it. I get why they need to know that. Mm -hmm. I just don't like why they need to know that. I stopped. I just stopped. I can't take it. I just can't take it. No, it's not that I can't take it. I won't take it because I found myself disliking myself. Yeah, that'll do it to you. You know what I mean? Where you go, what's wrong with me? How can I can't? What? I used to be good. It's like, oh my God. Yeah. What a thing to think about yourself. Well, that's also the, the thing that I think allows people greater success is that first thing that breaks and then gets you to the next thing, next thing. Because, I mean, anytime like the SNL auditions come up and stuff, I always say to my students, I'm like, I know 100 people that can be on SNL right now. Right. And they would be great at it. It's just a matter of lots of things lining up and most of those things are not in their control. But the, but the one thing that, that I think you can control is the way that you feel about yourself. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of people that I, I, I read on Facebook that talk themselves out of shit. And I just want to grab them and go, shut up. Whatever you're saying right now about you, you're not allowed to say that. You're not yeah. allowed to say that. Because every time you say that, it, it, what you're doing is it stays forever. And there's a smell of that. Mm -hmm. That does not ever go away. Yeah. Like this Eeyore type thing where somebody's going, oh, life is bad and we're doomed for Tasha. It's like, oh, man, no. No, 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 no. Well, there's, there's this weird, you know, it, it's a little bit of both because I think the, the comic perspective on life can naturally skew a little bit darker. Mm -hmm. And so people are going to be a little cynical or skeptical of the things. But then you're also like, I've so many people have mentioned to me of the people that have like the Facebook persona that's like call back nailed it like those kind of people too where you're like fuck that person but like at least they're being positive absolutely like good for them like we're we're all we all kind of feel terrible about ourselves so much about this work like I would I guess I would rather have more people like that in the world right but they're kind of equally annoying they are equally annoying yes 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 and that's why for me I don't know I also. What, what gets me to are people that say something is going on that is good, that might be happening, but I can't say because I don't want to jinx it. And I'm thinking, really? You live that victimy? That you're thinking that you're going to jinx it just by saying it? You're thinking that, the, that the, the fates are going to throw something at you because you mentioned it to somebody? Mm. Well, Facebook being a public forum, some of those people may have signed like non-disclosure agreements. Oh, I get that too. But, but like, but the jinx thing is very different than the lawyer thing. 
Of course. I I kind of I have a relative superstition. I played I played baseball growing up, and uh, oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you never step on the baseline, right? Like, so I have little superstitions and things, and, and like or ways of doing things. Like I'm, I just looked at your table because where that remote control is placed, right? I want to put the remote controls in the same place every time, right? That's, I'm sure that's OCD. No, I get uh, it, but it's also whatever, like. Those sorts of things. So then there are certain things you do and don't do. Mm -hmm. So like I can get those people hoping for like some sort of mojo in the universe to work in their favor. Having said that, the the skeptic would say none of it matters. The mojo doesn't matter. No. The mojo – the person making that decision isn't feeling that mojo. Right. Doesn't matter. Right. They don't think about you. The person that is making that decision doesn't matter. They're not thinking about you. Right. Yeah, or it's – maybe they're thinking about you, but there's so many arbitrary things that are involved in casting and acting. And But they're business. also not saying, I'm going to give that guy that job, but if I hear one fucking word that he thinks he's going to get that job, I'm not going to give him that job. <laughs> I don't think so. But that's really what somebody said. Better not have posted feeling pretty good about my audition today. Uh, <laughs> but that's what people are saying. It's like, don't – oh, my God. I don't want to say anything because – Who's going to find out? And who's going to say, how dare you say that you think you're going to get – who do you think you are that you're going to get – no. no. Is no. it the natural inclination of humans that they want to, they want to tell you everything but they can't? Like uh, they're like, I, I want to say this so bad. But just being able to say that I want to say something is at least a little bit fulfilling. Oh, fuck. I want to kill that person. I but fair you, know, you want to say it, that's fine. But I, I, I had a class with a guy named Howard Fine. His initials are Howard Fine. I'm not going to tell you who he is. <laughs> and what he would do is he would go, all right, I'm going to tell you a little story. And he would talk like that. Um, there was a guy that I met. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who he is, but he did movies within the last time span of 15 years. Um, he did some action movies, but he also did some dramatic movies as well. He did some comedy movies, but I can't tell you who it is. He was nominated for an Academy Award, but I won't tell you if it's going to be, because he didn't want to tell you who it was. And it was like, really? And it, I felt like, just fucking tell me or don't tell the fucking story. Yeah, what is he like? What is he protecting? There? He's what is he protecting? And I feel like, and also, what is he saying? And why are you saying it? So if there's somebody that says, "I want to tell you these things, but I can't," it's like, all right, then don't tell me that you want to tell me these things. Is it the push and pull between discretion or lack thereof? I think it's also I want you to know that I, I want you to know that, I want you, to, I want you to know that I'm interesting, but I'm not going to tell you. But I'm going to kind of pull you in a little bit. It's like that the new kid at school is wearing a leather jacket and showed up on a motorcycle. He doesn't want to say anything to you, but he seems interesting. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And then he talks. And you're like, oh. It's like when David Beckham talked. You're like, that's what his voice sounds like? What does it sound like? And David Beckham. <laughs> Something like that. I don't know if that's a good impression, but it's not like you don't expect. A lot of women were like, oh, boy. Nope. Beautiful man. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> I think it was like. Just not as pleasant as you would think it would be. Right. To not spend as... a lot of time. Now, your wife has a very good voice because I would always hear her because we shared an office for so long. Yeah. And she has a really great voice. Yeah. I dated a woman whose voice was like, I don't know how much longer I could take this. <laughs> I fucking don't know how much longer I could take this. You're going to listen. I mean, ideally in a partner, you're going to listen to them. <laughs> uh, They're not going to write most of the things to you. Yeah. that's an, You know, I've, I never have specifically thought about that. But yeah. Can you imagine? Like. What if you meet this wonderful person, you, 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 you're physically attracted, you're mentally attracted, but there's just something about their voice. 
I, I, I don't know this. I, I have a story for you. <laughs> I don't remember the detail of who told me this story, but a, a friend from college uh, was dating a girl, but I don't remember which friend it was. I just remember this story in my head. And he said he was dating a girl. He really liked her. They went out. They drank a lot. They were young. And then the sound she made when she vomited was so off-putting that he broke up with her. <laughs> and I'm like, are you – like, how frequently are you going to hear that? And he's like, I don't know. But the noise she made was so horrible that I'll never, ever forget that she made that noise. And therefore, I cannot date her anymore. And I was like, wow, you are a terrible person. <laughs> and, like, also, do you think you're going to hear that every day? Like, if you think like you're going to hear that. You drank too much. Like, this should be... Really infrequent. I, I well, I I broke up with a woman because it was really was a tipping point thing where she would make that mouth sound when she chewed. Oh yeah. And I've said it a million times on the podcast. You can't tell somebody not to chew that way because that's just the way they chew. They chew. But the vomiting thing—that is a terrible person. I also believe that there were other reasons that he didn't want to break up with her, and that's sure. a tipping point thing. It was like, yeah, there was like, yeah, we're, think, we're at 48 percent. And now we're exactly. going to. Right, right, right. It, the, like he, he didn't like the way that she clapped, but that's OK. I think I can deal with it. Yeah. And then the vomiting came. It's like not the okay, clapping and the vomiting. <laughs> I could deal with this. Not that. Exactly. Uh, no, uh, uh, really? Really? You're going to clap that way? <laughs> going back to David Beckham, you know, soccer players clap in a very specific way. OK. They clap above their head. It has something to do with. But I've always wondered why they do that. Is it, it could be a superstition. Is that it? I don't know. Like at one time, if they thought this coming down here, it might look like a hand signal or some kind. I don't know. I, or it's like I think it's like in it's like reverence and respect for the crowd. Got it. Like it's for this is for you guys. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know what the. Are you? Do you watch? Did you watch the World Cup? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little fascinated by anything that happens every four years. I think the Olympics, like there are, there are events in the Olympics that I am completely uninterested in. Right. But then when it's on the Olympics, you're like, man, they train so hard for this. Right. I should watch this. These are the greatest guys in the world who jump poles over poles. Yeah. 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 I didn't watch the last Olympics in Russia because fuck Russia. That's why I didn't watch The Winter it. Olympics are less interesting to me. But I, I do like figure skating. The luge, the figure skating thing, the luge, as you're going to know, it's guys going down a hill. It's Did you see the guy going down? He's from India, an Indian loser, because there's so much snow there. Mm-hmm. So he's an Indian loser. He's going down his luge. He loses his luge underneath him, and then he just holds tight, and he caught up with his luge. Like 30 what? feet later, it's just like, I'm going down. The luge is over there. I'm going to catch up. Back on. And he fucking got back on. He got back on. He got back on. That's got the, moral, back on. the moral of life story is get back on that luge. Get back on that luge. Get back on that luge. That's a song. Get it's got to be. Get back on that luge. Get back on that luge, luge. Joe. Yeah. No. Whatever. Not Joe, but yeah, some yeah. Indian guy name. <laughs> get back on that luge. So you play baseball. Yeah. Did you see the uh, Brian Cranston baseball thing? That I've they heard brought? about it. I didn't care for it. You didn't care for it. No. Here's another thing. I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it. I, I don't know what he's going to do now. Because he's done a couple things that were, I'm Brian Cranston doing crazy things. Like waking up in the bed with the kind of Suzanne Plachette. Mm-hmm. I had this weird dream that I was a meth dealer. And, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. and it was like, it went on for too fucking long. And yeah. this baseball thing just doesn't have the spin, Frank. It doesn't have that fucking spin that you need if you're going to take that next step. Uh... I, you don't have to have an opinion about this. I'm just bitching. About no, it. I hear you. I hear you. I think 
when you have done something as iconic as as well as he did, mm-hmm. it will be very difficult to replicate. Right. I think, I think he, I think he has a good sense of humor. Right. I know that he's been directing a little bit. He's been directing some television. Uh, and so maybe he's just having fun. Like maybe there's a little bit of this, which he has achieved, which what we all want, which is freedom as an artist. Right. And he might say like, man, this might suck. I don't care. Right. I'm going to do this bit. It's going to be too long, but I can do it. And someone will let me do it. Did you so watch the it. series when it was on? Breaking Bad? Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, I binged I watched it. it a little bit. Behind, we were behind a couple seasons and we caught up. And then last year I couldn't watch it, but Rachel was. And so then I binged it the second half of the last season. It was incredible. Did you have dreams? Or did wow. you for me it for me it annoyed the shit. I'd wake up in the morning going, Why do I hate everything? And it was because I was up till three o'clock in the morning watching the show. Oh. I don't think so. We just finished watching True Detective and I thought that for sure would give me weird dreams and it didn't. Uh huh. Which I liked very much as well. Yeah, I think that might be the next thing, but I don't have HBO, so I got to pay for it or something. It's really good. I highly recommend it. Uh I don't know if you can get it on iTunes. Uh, You can. It's good. Yeah. Um, But it costs like $46 for the season. uh, You know what? Might be worth it. It's as well done as anything I've seen in recent times. I think that right now we're at a really awesome time for television. Yeah. There's there's like high highs and low lows. Of course, but I think those low lows are always going to be there. Yeah. But I think there was a period of time where you go... What the fuck? But uh, I'm thinking about the days when Dallas was on and those kind of things. But I don't want I didn't watch TV that much anyway. You know, but I mean there's also a different it's just a different time. I was watching a documentary about happy days and in this heyday, happy days would have sixty five million viewers a week. And I mean, so you concentrate that, you concentrate the ten best staff writers of comedy in a room. And you you know, there's so much less because there is a little bit, like in Major League Baseball or in sports, anytime there's expansion, there's it, it gets a little watered down. Right. So then I think the thing that makes these other shows is one individual particularly inspired to do a limited series, like what's his name, Vince Gillian? Vin, Vince, Gilligan? Yeah, Vince Gilligan. Uh, uh, Gillian? Gilligan? I don't remember his name. He's from the Breaking, Breaking Bad, Bad guy. Yeah. And this, uh, I can't remember his last name, it's Italian sounding, Nick something for... Uh, true detective is like they were so inspired and then they but if you try to go to series with that and make a hundred episodes of this and hire a staff it's like it'll probably lose a little bit right and so like some of the time i think i think there was a heyday i i really like like to me growing the sitcoms that i watched growing up i felt like were more like one act plays and they were like executed like theater was right what were they what were the shows oh i love the cosby show is one of my favorite shows of Uh all time um I love Silver Spoons with Ricky Schroeder. Okay. Uh, I like Happy Days. Um, what's happening? Right. Boy, that was just that was your era right there. Yeah, there's some good stuff. I didn't watch that much TV growing up, and also we didn't have DVR. Or, oh know, yeah. So we couldn't tape it. So there was a time period when I was in Second City for that amount of time, where it's like that, that, that's lost TV time because you couldn't. What you oh doing? yeah. What? How are you gonna? What are you gonna? That's okay though. Oh, it's clearly okay. Um, empty, uh, the nest. What's it called? Empty nest. Empty nest. Empty nest. Never watched it. Uh, or the one with um, Michael J. Fox. Which one? Spin City or Family Ties? Family Ties. Family Ties is a good show. Family Ties. Never saw that. Didn't see that. Never show. saw it. No. Wow. No. Never saw it. Never saw it. Pretty iconic. Yeah. Like never saw it. Too. Spent a lot of time not watching it. And I was drinking, and I was, uh, and still am. I was drinking, and getting high, doing theater. <laughs> 
those are fantastic reasons not to watch television. <laughs> or those are things that I could do while I'm watching television. Well, yeah, you could. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I love that excuse. I love the excuse of being so inundated with work and being inspired by life and doing it and doing it and doing it that you just don't have time to take in the other stuff. That right. like it doesn't appeal to you. Like right now, I can I'm good for like one or two shows. I watch sports and news, and then like I can watch a series, one or two series at a time. And even then, like I get I get behind. And then Rachel gets like I'm like I'm six episodes behind on Boardwalk Empire. Go ahead. Like she wants to watch it. I'm just like, I, I don't even care. Anymore. Right, right, right. Because you, you also have these these things around that you want to look at and hang out with. People. Yeah. And time <laughs> and sleep. Right. Yeah. I mean, my television watching has, has greatly decreased. My time for it and interest in it. Like some of the time, I just like dumb time too. Like I like – I'll watch – Diners, diner, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Right, because it's so it's such dumb. It's like, oh, they're making food. There's some place in Iowa. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like there's no, because I feel like anything that's really well written, you have to invest in. You have yes. to listen to. You have oh to my god, because then it's such an interactive experience. I have not had an experience like I had with Breaking Bad, where I've never experienced a television show like that, and I kept thinking. Oh man, how how are they gonna do that? What are they gonna how are they gonna keep this up? And then it ends. End it. Fucking end it before Fonzie jumps over the fucking shark tank. They had to do it though. Right. Don't you feel like the series almost ended a couple seasons before? I do I believe that too, but But I thought what they reset was great. Yes. I, what they reset. Was, right. But it was a little bit of a series reset. You're like, this is done. Yeah, I felt like Wait, uh, no, they wanna come back. Right. 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 You know, I don't know. Um, I find it fascinating. I, it's like, you know, what'll be interesting. Like Brian Cranston to me has a long career. I think he's uber talented. I think he'll have, he'll do a lot of interesting stuff. Aaron Paul is interesting to me because I think he was perfectly cast, brilliant performance, but then you might go, Oh, that's the, that's what he does. And that's what he does really well. But I don't know if he'll be able to step outside of that character much. Well, he has, he's going to have a long career ahead of him. And I don't know if we'll allow him to do so. And when you play something that iconic, that's really hard too. I, I agree. I agree. What happened to Radar O'Reilly? I don't know if I ever saw him anywhere else. Nope. You don't Maybe see him Maybe on anywhere. the love boat. Right? Right? There's no more show like that. There's not that show where it's like, there's that guy coming back as the rich casino owner, but you know he used to be on that other show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I mean and God, you know, God forbid I I create such an iconic character that I make so much money that I don't know what I'll be able to do next. Uh, somebody you take somebody like terrible. Alan Alda, you know, who was such an iconic character, but he was able to to change. Mm -hmm. And I saw him in Glengarry Glen Ross in New York about eight years ago. And brilliant. It was him, Liev Schreiber, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, Jeffrey Tambor was in it. He was, he was... Wait, that wasn't the one with the guy from uh, Boardwalk Empire. You know what I'm talking about? Which one? Uh, the guy that, in Boardwalk Empire, that ran through... He was... Oh, uh, Joey Bobby Cannavale? Yeah, yeah. No. Bobby Cannavale was in... He did Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, oh, but, yeah. but um, Al Pacino is in that one. So no, oh. yeah. Anyway, Liev Schreiber played the Ricky Roma role. Got it. 
Alan Alda, I think, was the either the Arkin or Jack Lemon role. I can't even remember now. They were great. That those fucking guys, Alan Arkin, Jack Lemon, Alan Arkin. I miss Jack Lemon a lot. I do too. Uh, Some like it hot. The apartment. I like Jack Lemon a lot. I, I like Walter Matthau and Jack Lemon a lot. Oh my god, it's a great. Combo. Oh my god, to watch those two guys in the Odd Couple, and they're making so, another Odd Couple on television. Yeah. Uh, which I mean, they're Tom Lennon is one of them, who is uh, from Reno Nine One One fame. He's great. Oh, good. I think he's Felix, and Matthew Perry is Oscar. Uh, and also, to me, okay. those reboots sometimes are a little bit insulting. I don't know how you do because but the television show lasted what six years, seven years. That and but even then, I mean, that was a reboot of a movie. Oh, I know, but the thing is, like, it's it's a movie, then it's a six, seven year reboot, and then you how much, how many le- what kind of legs is that TV show going to have? It's uh, not going to have the legs. Um, Look at me, Mister Cynical. Catch me three years from now. It's like. No, Dave, I can't. No, listen, I can't. Frank, I can't go out with you. First off, you're a guy, and second off, I'm not. I'm watching I'm on the new Odd Couple. <laughs> couple. Playing Felix on the new Odd Couple. You on the new Odd you're, you're the guy. I would, I would take it. I'll take it. Sorry, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I find that to be a little in you know a little insulting. Like movies this year were lots of like superheroes remakes or sequels, right? And it was a little insulting. But then some of them are really good. Like I don't get to see movies as much anymore. And I, I knew very – I had never read the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, comic book. I thought it was great. I never saw it. I didn't see it. It was really fun. Yeah, it was, I like it was really, really fun. A very Hollywood, yeah. very fun movie. It doesn't have like that heart – like Back to the Future is a movie to me that like is like almost perfect in regard to like it has everything that a movie should have, like comedy and, and it takes you on a journey and you, you care about the characters. It's a beautiful movie. Great. That's a beautiful movie and Ghostbusters is a beautiful movie mm-hmm. and you look at those movies you go, there's, there's science fiction but at the heart of it is – it's like Alien. Alien at the heart of it is a fucking great love story. Mm-hmm. Alien, Alien it's, a, it's a story of a mother and a daughter. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, that's what everybody says. God. But that to infuse that, I mean that's what I think people are trying to recapture that or, and some stuff will sell – I don't know. I, I don't know if people like – is there the familiarity of like somebody going, oh, I've heard of The Odd Couple. I'll tune in for this. Is that really going to help? I don't know. I'm sure there's been some sort of research that kind of says otherwise. Right, right. Or know. does Matthew – can Matthew Perry open it? And will there be people saying, oh, the, oh there, there was a show before Matthew Perry was on The Odd Couple? There was an Odd Couple show before Matthew Perry? There's a fair amount of people will say that. Right? Yeah, because you know what? People are idiots. Well – that's I think almost. a lot of people are. You and I and people that we love aren't, but a lot of people are. Well, I said this to somebody recently, and I said, I said, you are not responsible for what others don't know. Got it. But I could be pissed off that they don't know. Of it. course. <laughs> of course. You, of course, can. I think. And yeah. I really do get upset. Like, but how do you not know X? How do you fucking not know X? Well, maybe it's deep in their psyche or memory because th- that's also to me why they keep trying people. Like Matthew Perry obviously had wild success with with Friends and has since kind of bounced from thing to thing to thing and has had maybe five or six shows. He's probably done a pilot a year yeah. and then a few shows that went to series and they keep trying. Like we're, we're still going to push him out there and it's like good for him. He's a talented actor but at a certain time you're like, 
maybe we don't maybe it's, we're looking for somebody new right maybe it's time for somebody else like maybe matthew perry doesn't have to to uh carry the show maybe matthew perry is the the third on the show and then there's new people uh, like, that it might be fun for him too like right i don't know but i don't think that anybody looks at him and goes that's the guy from friends i think that people look at him and say that's matthew perry at this point yeah yeah all right um okay let's stop there all right that was awesome man thanks for chatting that was just a, a nice little conversation Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.